Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bundjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery is a new age beverage company revolutionising the way we look at having a night out with friends. They make sophisticated, non-alcoholic beverages that are sugar-free and full of social graces. Now you can enjoy a good time, love what you drink and love yourself the next day too. Stay high in spirits, keep a clear mind. Cheers to Monday. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Goose McGrath. Now, Goose is an entrepreneur. He's a CEO of an awesome company, Dash Dot, who's a property investment company. He's been an like, ex-festival music guy. He's done lots of things. But basically, Goose went from being a homeless guy to being, let's just say it, Goose, what it is. It's like a multi-million dollar, very successful human being. And a lot of this came from his sobriety. So I'm really keen to jump in and hear your story today. So thank you so much for your time and for coming on the podcast, Goose. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. And uh, thanks for having me. I think it's a really awesome topic to talk about and something I'm really, really passionate about because there's 
two really distinct phases in my life, or I guess there's probably more than two, but like in my adult life, there's two really distinct phases. There's before quitting alcohol and after quitting alcohol. And I can tell you the second half, the latter one has been wild beyond my even wildest dreams. And so I think it's a really great topic to dig into. Wow. I can't wait to get into that. It's so true. It's like there's a clear defined moment and then life without the booze and they're very different. And it's funny how when you're in the, the other one, you feel like this is it. This is where I am. And this is as good as it gets. And it's good at some point, some points are good and some points are bad. And then it's not until you get rid of it that you realize, whoa, I was holding myself back so much. It's really interesting that you say that. And I think the reason for that is because, and we can go anywhere you want with this conversation and there's lots of really interesting stuff we could dig into, but like throughout my entire twenties, I was abusing drugs and alcohol. And when you're in that mode, you're right. You're like, this is awesome. This is living. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy, but actually the reason for that is because specifically you are stimulating tons of dopamine. And so when you stimulate tons of dopamine, you're telling yourself that this feels good, right? But the, but the problem with mm-hmm. that is it's artificially inflated dopamine. And mm-hmm. so once you actually remove the artificial stimulus, you actually find that the underlying sense of happiness isn't actually there. And so the, the feeling that you can kind of get stuck in and the feeling that most people get stuck in is this like false happiness, I would say. And it's only once you remove the crutch that you actually get to see life for what it really really is and that's that is the only time that true happiness will start to pervade in your life in my opinion yeah 100 percent, absolutely so well said tell us a bit about so where you are now you're at your home in bali which is awesome and i'm feeling super jealous right now about that but you know you are a super successful human being you've i think generated i think i was reading 20 million dollars or something like that in the last few years with your business Tell us about before you got to this place of success, where you were before that. Mm. Yeah, so I won't give the extended backstory, but basically, actually, why not? Because it's relevant to this. So I grew up in a regional uh, in a in a regional area in in Victoria, in Australia. So sort of like whereabouts? A, uh, small country town called Glengarry was where I was born, and then the kind of the big town was was Tarelgan. Uh That was the big smoke, you know, out of mm-hmm. McDonald's and traffic lights. So you know, it's like it's big. And like most teenagers, you know, I got into alcohol sort of 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. And I only realized this in hindsight, but it was giving me a crutch to make me feel like I belonged. But also you get these reinforcement mechanisms that when you get drunk and you act like a fool, people think you're cool. And so this reinforces this idea that that's how you effectively socialize and interact and make friends and all of that kind of stuff. I've only realized in hindsight that like, I'm actually like everyone throughout my most of my life, particularly my teens to 30 years old, which is sort of broadly speaking, the the turning point in my life would have said that I was an extrovert, I would have said I was an extrovert. Turns out I'm really, really, really not an extrovert. I'm actually Mm. really, really introverted. Mm. And so what happened for me is the way that I learned to interact with the world was by changing myself using substances. So primarily alcohol, but then lots of other drugs. And you know, what's really interesting is I could talk extensively about the tremendously high volumes of drug use that I had throughout those times, but it always came back to alcohol. Alcohol was always the catalyst. Take out the alcohol and the rest of the drug behavior wouldn't happen, which is really, really interesting. So that ended up being the gateway, but I was also exceptionally high functioning. So I could drink, take drugs, do all this kind of stuff basically every day and still function at a really high level. 
I'd run a business and do multiple things. And like, I was fully, so people never realized it was a problem. And I always also wore it as a bit of a badge of honor. Like, look at me, I can go harder than everyone else and also still outperform everyone else. And it became this kind of like badge of honor. Now, through my 20s, I worked in the music and arts festival scene, so organizing music and arts festivals all over the world, which was great and awesome. And I traveled a lot and I had 10 years with no winter and it was brilliant. But also the environment lent itself to drugs and alcohol being a a pervasive part of the, the kind of environment during that time when I really became not myself and which you only can realize once you once you step away from it you know by the time I got to sort of my mid 20s I'd really started to lose my own personal identity which you obviously don't know when you're doing it when you're in it I ended up getting married that was not a good decision that lasted a year <laughs> that kind of broke down and and rightly so and that was okay and I found myself basically at about 30 years old with no money, nowhere to go, living on my office floor. And the business that I was running was, put, to put it bluntly, a bit of a joke. And I was going nowhere. And at that point in my life, I'd literally be waking up, drinking a glass of straight vodka, doing a line of cocaine. Like it was like, it was pretty, it was pretty heavy stuff. And then I'd just go to work. Like that was my life. Like I would just like, it was fully functioning, still working every day, but just on this constant state of trying to change my environment. Were you ever concerned about yourself? Like when you're waking up, I mean, obviously the sleeping in, in your office and all that's a concern, but in terms of the substances, were you ever thinking, fuck, this is a lot. What am I doing to myself? I would say yes and no. I think I had some belief that I was impervious in some way. The other part of me didn't care because my self-esteem was pretty low. Mm. I was pretty depressed. And mm. so I kind of just didn't really care, which is pretty sad. And mm. it got to a point. So around that time when I was uh, living on my office floor and had basically nothing going for me, I met my partner, Gabby, and I had no idea what she saw a bit at the time, considering the kind of set of circumstances that I, that I was in, but whatever reason that worked. And it took a couple of years, like we were sort of seeing each other for maybe a year or two. It wasn't like some instantaneous, I met her and spontaneously my, my life changed, but it was a catalyst that started to move me in the right direction. And it was a couple of years after we started seeing each other. And I think I was around about 32 years old, if my memory serves me correctly. And I was working on a festival site. She was working on the festival site with me. I'd woken up that day and like, I think drank like half a bottle of vodka, took a bunch of drugs, had a couple of beers, you know, like, like this was just literally just to start the day. This was before breakfast. My behaviors had devolved pretty bad. Like the, like the, it had gotten really beyond a, beyond the pale. And she kind of looked at me and said, look, I can't want you to do this to yourself anymore. I'm, I'm going to leave. And when you get back from the work, we'll, we'll talk about what's going to happen next. That was the moment that I realized that the path that I was on was going to lead to two outcomes. I'd almost certainly lose Gabby. And if I kept going, I'd probably end up dead. Now, I didn't care as much about the death side of things as I did about the Gabby side of things. And so knowing for years, like you can't continue to abuse yourself for, for years and years and years without it having significant long-term effects, uh, but that had never been enough of a catalyst. And it was only, it was really the thought that I might lose Gabby. That was the like, oh, you know what? Now I've got a reason. Now I've got a reason to change. And that was the kind of, that was the kind of big turning point. Well, when, when you say that, I think, oh, automatically, I think, oh, but you've got to do it for yourself. <laughs> like you've got to want this for yourself. What do you say to that? Because I mean, that's yeah, one of the question. things. Yeah. It's a good question. And 
I think that it is exceptionally important for everyone to develop self-love, self-care, self-respect. And I would say that I have that now, but I would say at that point in time, I didn't care enough about myself. So I think developing that is really good and healthy. And I would never suggest that you exist in a kind of codependent state for somebody else in their entirety. But I would also anchor the value of love. And to that degree, I suddenly realized I had something to live for. And that was the that was the catalyst. It was like, okay, like this is something that I don't want to end to the degree that the the thought of losing something so special was enough for me to say, no, you know what? This is the path that I'm on is not worth it. Now through the yeah. process of moving through sobriety and all of that kind of stuff, I found myself again because I had completely lost myself. So you can't love yourself if you don't know yourself. And mm. only once I started to rediscover myself, could I start to then love myself. And it's interesting now because, you know, Gabby and I have got a great relationship, highly communicative, like it's, it's awesome. My point of view is that a relationship is two individuals seeking to be the best version of themselves so that they can earn the continuous respect of the other person, right? And so it's not about having yourself sort of in some kind of, as I say, sort of codependent way, like I'm living for somebody else. No, 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 I'm being the best version of me so that I'm worthy of you, which is a diff completely different kind of uh, point of view. But I absolutely hear your point around there needing to be some desire for, I'm really big on self-actualization. My genuine belief is that self-actualization is the only worthy goal that anyone can pursue. And really what that is, is the continuous process of becoming the best version of yourself, which ties kind of into your, into your point. Like, what about the self? Like, what about, what about the personal journey? What about the, how do I get better for, for the point of me being better? And I do believe that is a worthy goal, but anchoring back to that point, I've, I needed something else because I didn't see myself as worthy. When did you lose so much care for yourself? At what point in your life did that love for yourself kind of separate? That is a good question. <laughs> that is a, I do a lot of self-analysis and I have never asked that question. That is, <laughs> that is a, that is a good one. Um, Send your honest, link to my coaching. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Um, that's a good one. I'm not sure if there was a specific event. I would suggest that it was more a slow degradation is probably what I would suggest. And was that from childhood, do you think, or from, from later on? You know, if I really think about it now, from when I first really started to develop meaningful social relationships in my teens, I started to develop this practice that I would have to be somebody else for people to like me, which comes back to the alcohol thing. Like my best self is not drinking. My, be my best self is highly introverted, right? My best self is not got anything to do with the types of behaviors that I was displaying, but because they got reinforced from when I was in high school, going to parties and drinking and if you drank heaps and vomited, you were cool. And if you did something really crazy and dumb, you were cool and all of this kind of stuff. And this starts to then give you a distorted sense of self. And I think if you distort your sense of self for long enough and you live in dissonance with your actual true self, that creates like a significant amount of disharmony. Because when you're in line with you, when you're aligned with your actual true self, you're in alignment and you're in harmony. And so if I really think about it, I would say that it would be the compound effect of 15 years of being someone that I wasn't. Mm. That's, that's enough to eat you away because, and then, cause then if you really play that through, it's like, if I'm not me, 
why would I care about not me? Because it's not me. And so you've suddenly got this disconnection of self. It's like, mm. why would I care about this person? Because this person is not me anyway. Like it's a, it's this facade, it's this fiction, it's this, and it's quite frankly, not something that I would be proud of. And so that I think gap is why I didn't care because I wasn't being actually me. That's deep. That's really, really deep. I love this. It, you're so right though, because we kind of create this facade. Like I, I, look, I've talked about a lot in the podcast before that I thought I was Danny, the party girl and da, 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 da. And I'm an introvert as well. Like I'm really introverted where I always thought I was so loud and us, probably my friends would have gone bullshit. You're not, you're not an introvert, but I am. And so many binge drinkers are, but you're so right. And I didn't love that person that was that extrovert because she was so out of alignment of who she really was. When you talked about learning to love yourself, you're getting that anchor anchor of love, which is so beautifully called it. That was gorgeous. For men, Australian men, and sorry for everyone else listening other parts of the world, but I really feel like like I've got Robert Mills, Millsy coming on the podcast. I'm interviewing him awesome. later today as well. Having this conversation with him as well about men being open. Mm. How important do you think that is? I think it's exceptionally important for everyone. Yeah, right? for everyone, the, the, absolutely. The, 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 first, the first big underline is that I actually see a lot of women who don't uh, love themselves or aren't true to themselves. I think that there's definitely, I absolutely agree with you that there's a propensity, probably more so for Australian males, by the way, than, than many other parts of the world even. But I would say men in general are, are taught in many ways, directly and indirectly, that they shouldn't feel their emotions that that's not what they're for. There's a lot of talk about masculinity at the moment, toxic masculinity and performative masculinity and all of that kind of stuff. I think it's a really interesting discussion because what I see masculinity being is actually being open and loving and strong and powerful, but in all the right ways. It's not mm -hmm. about some kind of classical male versus woman role definition at all, but just mm -hmm. in the same way that a woman stepping into her feminine power allows her to feel, express, and be, it's the mm. same thing for men. I think yeah. one of the most masculine things men can do is to go inside and start to unpack these emotions and to feel them and to live them because it's only through that you can gain personal power. And only through personal power can you show up with the level of integrity and intensity and focus and force that you can bring into the world in a great way you can't do that unless you've kind of unpacked the other stuff. Because if you mm. try to, you'll be doing it from some kind of fragmented, fractured state, which can probably end up in you not expressing well, not being the kind of person that you should be in a great functioning society where you can really contribute. So I think that the conversation around men and feelings is super important. And I think that it is actually a really key contributing element to that kind of like broader social masculinity topic as well. Absolutely. And I just feel like if going forward, like Milsey talks about this in his book, we need good men to raise more good men. Yeah. And of course, there's the whole fear of cancel culture at the moment. If you say the wrong thing, look out because you'll get cancelled. But apart from that, like we need good men out there and, and modeling like that it's okay to feel your feelings and to share them and not have to be pissed in the pub to get your arms around your mate and to ask them how they're going or to express your feelings. So yep. yeah, it's important. Okay. I've, I've completely digressed here. Okay. So talk us. So Gabby, she sounds amazing. So she's kind of given you that ultimatum. You've realized, okay, I'm going to lose this really special person in my life. How do you go from someone who's drinking that much to what happened? How did you do it? 
Yeah. So just a quick, she didn't give me an ultimatum, which was the good thing. Cause I think oh, if sorry. she gave me, if she gave me an ultimatum, I, I don't like people telling me what to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so if she had said something like you've got to change or else or something, I, I might not have responded that well. But what she said was actually more along the lines of like, I'm going to need to make decisions that, about my life and I can't choose to continue to watch this. So she didn't say you change. She just said, I'm not going to stay if this is the reality, which is very different. But mm -hmm. from that point, so that was around about the end of March, 2018, I traveled back. I said, right, I'm going to sort myself out, got back, had a heart to heart with Gabby. I said, right, I'm going to, I'm going to change. This is my choice. I'm going to do this because this matters to me this much. I quit alcohol. I quit drugs. I quit cigarettes. I quit carbs. I quit sugar. I did the whole Fucking thing. Hell. Bang. I was just like, bang, done. And I quit cold Turkey, just did bang in one go. Okay. And, Can I ask? Yeah. Oh, you're probably about to say it anyway. How is that? Because I mean, you must've been detoxing like a mofo. Yeah. So there is some stuff that's happened in my life, which has set me up for this kind of stuff pretty well. So when I broke my back, when I was 14 years old in a motorbike accident, I was on a lot of morphine as a pain process. I was on more morphine than a terminal cancer patient. And the doctors forgot me to forgot to take me off the morphine. So I was getting ready for school one day and I was just like, kind of like vagued out in front of the mirror. And I was like, hang on a second, what's going on here? And I went to the doctor to just say, hey, just, I just want to check. Like, I'm still taking this. Is this right? And he goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry. We were supposed to take you off that six months ago. And so at 14 years old, I had a full-blown morphine addiction. Because I was, I was on like the highest dose of like, I think it was endone or, or whatever. It was like big, 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 big doses. And in that moment, I said, right, I'm not going to be a victim of this circumstance. You know, I imp implicitly kind of understood what the pathways I could go on. I went home and I took all of the uh, morphine and I threw it in the bin and I went cold turkey. And I said, Ooh. I will not become a victim to this. So I'm going to go to school every single day. I'm going to do everything exactly as normal because I'm going to own it. And so 14 years old, at school, sweats, shaking in class, doing the whole thing, going through a full-blown morphine withdrawal, didn't miss a single class, didn't miss a day of school. Um, <laughs> and so that, wow. that has probably done a couple of things. Number one, may have something to do with some kind of addictive components of my, my behavior later on. Also, very clearly helped me to understand that I could be in control. And so to that degree, I was able to do that. And yeah, I mean, it was difficult. Like it was like, uh, what I've found about addiction, by the way, is it's primarily emotional. Mm. It's primarily emotional. Mm. There's some physical elements to it, but it's mostly emotional. And so the difficult stuff was not so much the, the detox as it was the not having these mechanisms and kind of feeling uncomfortable and, and I'm like, yeah, there was, there was like feeling sick because of all of the stuff. I mean, like even just quitting, even just quitting carbs is enough to make you feel sick. Yeah. You know? And so there was definitely a couple of weeks there where it was really uh, tricky, but I was embracing the, the discomfort and the challenge because uh, inherently I knew that that was the, the kind of path. Now that was the end of March. And uh, I started going to the gym as well because I'd never been, I was like, I was really overweight. I was in bad shape. I was like, it was not good. So I did all that stuff. And also I was like, right, and I'm going to start going to the gym every day. So it was like, in case you can't tell, I like to kind of push things to the extreme, including 
trying to get better. I was like, right, if we're going to do this, we're going all in. And, and it works. It was really good. And I started losing weight and I started feeling good. And so I started to have all these kind of like positive reinforcing signals as well, not just these negative ones, not like just that I've lost this. It was like, oh, I'm actually gaining this other stuff and I could focus on the, on the positive elements of it. What's quite funny is that, uh, let me take you on a little bit of a journey through this next phase because it's really quite interesting. So end of March, got sober. Of course, it was hard, big change, all that kind of stuff. I don't remember it being that hard. I don't actually have memories of like, oh my God, that was a really challenging time in life, but I'm certain it was, right? What I remember is this feeling that the veil got lifted in front of from my eyes. That's what I remember. I don't remember the detox. I don't remember the pain. I remember suddenly feeling like I could see the world for the first time. Ooh. Mm. That was powerful. That was in April, right? It was in April 2018 where I was like, I started to go, whoa, what is this place? Who am I? Where am I going? Like, wh what is this? And that was awesome because I'm inherently and like a really like I think very quickly a lot like my brain works at a very high speed and I'd been just putting a, a wet blanket on it for a long time I started to take away all these things that were deadening the noise and I could think and see and I was like holy smokes and I started to actually then go well where is my life going where is my where is the life going for Gabby and I like where is this heading where is this taking us started to think right, what's the future like okay I, I, I hate the career that I'm in I'd, I'd grown to hate it I was unhappy I had nothing to show for myself at 32 years old and I was like well this won't do like what, what, what do we want out of life and started to ask these questions that I hadn't asked myself before because I would only ever been living in the moment May basically two months after I got sober Gabby and I accidentally bought an investment property which is <laughs> Quite funny. Pretty accidentally buying investment. So we were like, so we, we decided that, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to change. We, the, we, the career, the business, the career was not going to get us where we wanted to go to. So we had to do something to create financial freedom. Now we had no idea about property investing, but we'd, we'd seen. Can I ask? Sorry, when you say you, to get where you're going, was that like a financial goal or a health goal? Well, we or wanted both? freedom. We wanted, we wanted to create a better life. We didn't really know at that point what that was, but we just knew that it wasn't where we were. And we knew that in order to create a better life, we had to. You, you know, like I, I said, knew, I said, we were start, starting to pull on this thread. It's probably a better way to think about it. We didn't know shit, <laughs> to be quite honest, right? But we were starting to pull on this thread and we we're like, okay, in order to create a better life, we're going to need to create some degree of financial security for ourselves, financial freedom, whatever that looks like, but we need to move in a direction. And we'd seen people make heaps of money in real estate, typically friends, parents and stuff who bought in the 80s and now their properties are worth billions. And we're like, oh, Real estate, cool. We'd heard that real estate was the way to go. We didn't know what we were doing. And so we decided that we were going to, we started to get interested in that. And we we're like, oh yeah, okay, let's buy an investment property and, and all of this kind of stuff. And then one Sunday we were bored and I said, hey, do you want to go for a bike ride? And I, there's some like, there's some display suites we could go and have a look at because we we're just trying to feed this interest. And then so literally just went for a Sunday bike ride and then ended up going into a display suite, got sold to by a very good salesperson and we were like oh this is all we need to do and we, we literally just thought that all you needed to do was like buy an investment property and then and then you'd suddenly be like free you know and so we were very naive and we bought a very bad investment property at the wrong time as uh, the wrong property wrong wrong place wrong time and lost a bunch of money pretty much straight away and that kind of set us on the on the on the business journey and we can kind of park that or come back to it or, or whatever you want but what was really interesting so so but that was interesting that that was part of that catalyst which 
that specific catalyst and I was getting it wrong is the thing that went to cause us to go and create this business, which has grown pretty significantly. But the path wasn't always easy. It wasn't like I just got sober and, and off we went. I had a couple of significant relapses because I thought that I'd gotten better. So we went to a, a property investing seminar in the Gold Coast. And then after that seminar, I was going to a music festival conference, like an industry week type thing in Brisbane. It was a big sound. Yeah, I think it was big sound. Yeah. And I'd been sober and I'd convinced myself like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'd been sober for like a couple of months. I'm like, oh, I'm fixed. I don't have a problem anymore. <laughs> oh, oh no, that's good. And we were at this, um, we were at this property investment seminar and we'd bought VIP tickets and whatever. And so there was this kind of like after drinks thing that networking thing that got to, and they were handing out free glasses of champagne. I was like, ah, it's been a few months. I'm fine. I'm good. And I had a glass of champagne. I had a couple more glasses of champagne and I just, I didn't have an off switch. The very next morning, bit of a hangover, I left Gabby. She was going back to Melbourne and, and I went to Brisbane to meet up with my, you know, the guys I was going to the, the event with. I ended up on a two week bender, like heavy, 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 heavy bender. Hang on. Like, what did Gabby say about all this? Like, what oh, did she say when you got the champagne? Like, well, she was like, are you sure? Like, and I was like, yeah, it's fine. Like, I'm, I'm good. Like she was, she was questioning it, but she was like, okay, like, you know, see how you go. But yeah, like it turns out I didn't have an off switch. And that one glass of wine leading to a two week bender, grams and grams of cocaine, drinking from the second I woke up all over again, bang, straight away, like just bang, not even a gradual ease in. It was like, literally, it was like the next day, how many pints could I drink? Like how it was, it was just bang. And that was really interesting to me. And I recognized that I had a problem. And I remember talking to my friend that I was at a big town with, and he was trying to tell me that it was okay. He's like, you know, you're just this kind of a person, you know, it's okay. You can be a bit of a wreckhead. It's kind of cool and it's fine. It's just be yourself. And I'm like, I remember saying, and this is like 1am when we're off our heads on all kinds of things. I'm like, dude, I actually don't think it is okay. I'm actually not sure that this is okay. And I don't think that this is good behavior, but here I am. Like, I was like trying to argue with him. I'm like, man, what are you talking about? You're telling me that I should keep doing this. I was like, I don't, and this is a great guy, by the way, I respect him a lot to this day, but it was such an interesting perspective. And it wasn't until I, I got back from, I had to change my environment. I had to go back to Melbourne and then be like, okay, whoops, how do I get out of that? And then that was when I realized that I might actually have a, a bigger problem. It wasn't just a habit. It was like, Ooh, this might actually become something I could never do again. Had you thought before that a couple of months before, back in mm. March, when you first stopped, were you thinking then this is a forever thing or were you putting a time frame on it? It's a good question. I'm not actually 100% sure. I think, I think what I was kind of presupposing was that I would sort myself out and then probably just become like a, like a normal person who can like have a glass of wine at dinner or, or something like that. But I didn't go into it with a like, I'm going to quit for 90 days type thing. I, I went into it like, right, I'm quitting and that's it. But I think I had always presupposed that once I'd gotten over it, I'd be okay. And then, yeah, that kind of like one glass of wine trigger was not a good sign. And then that same year, 2018, we were organizing a, a music festival of, of our own. And it was the third year we'd run it. And we'll call it a significant financial failure. Great festival, significant financial failure um, to the point that it was, it was a big enough failure that it was going to drag our companies into bankruptcy or liquidation. A better, better way of putting it is we didn't actually go bankrupt. We, we had to liquidate the companies. And simultaneously, at the same time, I was organizing the like a very large construction project for another festival, and it was going very poorly. And so, uh, it, you know, costs had doubled, and it was like there was lots of there was lots of stress. Festival was failing, businesses were failing, I was failing at this other job 
It was very, very stressful. And on the day of our festival, the one that we owned and the one that we were running, again, I thought, and I was in great shape. I'd gotten fit and healthy. I was skinny. I was looking good. Like I'd been on this great tear, like getting strong and fit and healthy, sharp of mind, the whole thing. But on the day of the festival, I thought, ah, come on, it's our festival. Surely, surely I can have a drink at our festival. No. Surely that won't be a problem. It's come on. It's our party. That can't Mm. be a problem. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? Because I'd forgotten that I had a problem and I thought it was just a lifestyle choice. Oh, dear. And lifestyle choice is cool, (laughs) but like I didn't realize it was a problem. I was like, ah, that's fine. I mean, like I can like quit carbs and then one day decide to have a pizza and then just keep, keep not eating carbs after that. It's a lifestyle choice. So I had a few drinks on the day of the festival and then the next day I had to go to the job site with the construction job that was significantly failing and the stress was mounting. And I also left once again, was separate from Gabby. I went to go do this other festival by myself with a team and I was in a hotel room by myself, drinking myself to sleep every night, doing all that kind of stuff. And it was terrible. Like it was not good found myself waking up on the floor of the, the hotel room next to bottles of wine and stuff like that. Like it was way out of control all over again. Well, how long uh, did that go for? A few weeks. So our festival was on December 10th and the last drink I had was on Christmas day, 2018. So between those two points, there were varying degrees of intoxication, but safe to say that it was a, not a pleasant time in my life. Very emotionally scarring time in my life because it was compounded with significant external failures as well as internal failures. And that was a very, like I I still have quite a lot of trauma from that period of time specifically. But that was when I realized that I probably would never be able to drink. Yeah. And And that's the great learning from the relapse, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 Mm. exactly. I had a, I had a boss when I was like, when I was younger, I used to work in um, residential construction, building houses and doing extensions and stuff. And my boss was an Irish guy who was, a, I'll say former alcoholic, but the thing is he was the one that told me that he was not a former alcoholic, he was an alcoholic. He hadn't had a drink in 15 years or something. And I'm like, oh, so you're, you're a recovered alcoholic. He's like, no, you don't get it. I'm an alcoholic, which means that if I drink alcohol, like I'll, I'll be off again. He's like, I can't ever do it again. And I didn't understand it at the time. I was like, surely you, you, get up, you recover, right? <laughs> But you don't, you're not. It's like it's just accepting that like, oh, I'm an alcoholic. Got it. And do I still think about the romantic elements of drinking, like going to Italy and having a glass of wine and doing all that kind of stuff? Yeah, oh, I used to love it. Drinking, I was a whiskey connoisseur. I think about the romantic visions of that level of, I guess, Epicurean exploration and you know, and I romanticize about this idea of me and Gabby going and doing that kind of stuff. And then I just remember like, it could just be one drink and then I'm fucked again for another, like however long. And it's just not worth it. Like, it's just, it's just not worth it. And how did you feel like with those significant relapses and they sound like really fucking intense. Like, how did you feel physically as well? Like terrible. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. Oh, terrible. Uh-huh. Like that's, that's actually one of the things it's like, yeah, you can feel good when you're drunk. Right. I don't know anyone who feels good after they've been drunk. And that's why I would keep drinking. Because like I'd wake up and I'd feel shit and I'd be like, oh, well, I know how to fix that. Just get drunk again. <laughs> so yeah. I just, that's why literally I'd just wake up and be like, oh, no, thanks. Drink the pain away and keep going. And so my kind of like if I just stayed drunk, I would never have to really deal with that. <laughs> so, and it, you feel terrible. It's not good. And 
typically I'd smoke cigarettes again whilst I was drinking. That's not good. You feel terrible when you smoke cigarettes and just, yeah, none of it was good. None of it was good. Yeah. And talking about that love anchor again too, it's like such an unloving thing to do to our bodies. Yeah. Like hundred percent. There's no part of it that you can argue as a positive way to show up for yourself or anybody else. And like, and it's really interesting now. And I, and I say this with absolutely no judgment because lots of people can socially drink and not have a problem. Like I've got, and that's okay. But I still, I'm just, I don't understand it now. I now see people drink and I'm like, I don't get it. Like I, I don't understand why you would do that because even one or two or three glasses of wine is enough to alter your state in the moment and then alter the way you feel the next day. Like there is no, like it's, and it kind of seems really strange to me when I see people who are my age who still, I caught up on the weekend with some friends for a few drinks and maybe it's just because I'm super introverted and I don't really go and hang out with friends that much, right? But even though, <laughs> but, 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 they're, but they're like, you caught up with them for drinks and that's what you do, you drink? That's just to me now, now seems wild that anyone would do that. Like, would you go and just catch up with your mates for a couple of hits of heroin? Probably not, right? And so- Depends on your mates. Yeah, it depends on your mates, <laughs> right? So. It, yeah, it's kind of my whole worldview around the substance has changed. Again, the romantic idea of the taste of like a glass of red wine whilst eating some bread sitting on a palazzo in Rome might sound cool. But when you actually mm. think of the macro, how does it make your body feel? How does it make your relationships? Like there's no upside. I can't see Yeah, that. so true. Thinking of the macro. 100%. And also you can still go to those beautiful places. I just love yeah. the beautiful soda water. Like it's super bubbly in Europe. <laughs> it's like Yeah, 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 yeah. So what happened next? This is fascinating. You should make a movie. <laughs> well, I'm only, I'm giving you the, just the, the Cliff Notes version because there's a lot of fidelity in there that we've glossed over. So that was 2018. During that period of time from when we bought the wrong property, wrong place, wrong time, and that was the catalyst. Got to remember that the veil had been lifted and my brain was working for the first time in years. That started a thing firing off in my brain going, what? Hang on a second. I thought property just went up. And so that started this real... I, shifted my addictive tendencies to try and focus on solving this really interesting problem like why do some real estate do well and others not and at the time it was a quest to try and solve the problem for myself and gabby because we were trying to get out of the quicksand remember like we hadn't solved anything we thought we were going to buy an investment property to become financially free and we bought a financial problem and we we're like oh so i was just trying to solve this problem like how do we create a better life and also trying to set up a future that didn't involve me working on music festivals anymore because the environment was not good for my health and I'd ceased to find the work rewarding and wanted something else. And so the end of 2018, all of the stuff I just explained, that was the catalyst. I, I said to my business partner just after Christmas, I said, I'm done. I said, you can have the business, you can have everything. I just want out, I want to walk away. I'll give you everything, you can have the lot. And I just said, I got to finish up. And so by March, 2019, I, I did my last event and I, I did that sober and that was all good. April 1st, 2019, Gabby and I started our business. We had $5,000, no safety net, no backup, never worked in the real estate sector before, <laughs> didn't have any networks in the real estate sector, didn't know any property investors, didn't know how to run a business, did nothing, nothing at all. In fact, we had so little money that when we started the business, we had to choose whether that very little money was going to be invested in growing the business or eating food. And we chose the business and we'd walk around the supermarket <laughs> eating food off the shelves. That's what we do at lunchtime. We'd go out, time for lunch, and we'd drive down to the Coles, would walk around, just eat food, right? Get, get some cheese from the deli or whatever and just eat food and <laughs> then just walk, walk out and go go back to, to starting the business. 
but that was really the, the the like the shift you know we're not talking a big like christmas day 2018 was my last drink april 1st 2019 was the first day of like 100 dedicated to to growing the business obviously being completely sober i would say that that's been one of the biggest reasons we've had so much success in the business over time you think that it's the clarity what is it about your sobriety yeah. that gives you the catalyst for the success when you're filling your body full of substances your motivation goes down now you just think about it like you get drunk what do you do the next day oh bit of a hangover sit on the couch not don't do much and even in the process of doing the drinking that's a waste of time right and so i suddenly found myself and i still find myself to this day needing to fill the time i used to be able to fill it with drinking i used to be able to just go okay i, I don't want to feel bored or unstimulated or something so I'd drink it's the easiest thing to do because it would make me feel good but I wouldn't have to do anything. You take that away and then all of a sudden you have this void, you have this vacuum where it's like, holy shit, what sits in there? Because i got to tell you, like I don't like sitting around just watching freaking Netflix or whatever. Like not that there's a problem with that, but so to me, I suddenly had this like, well, what's going to fill the space? I personally needed to fill the vacuum. So the clarity of mind and that lack of distraction led to, I've got to say, I'm a pretty obsessive type of person. I've clearly got an addictive personality. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> great. And so those two factors combined, it's like, okay, well, if, if I've got to throw my energy and attention to something, like I've got to say, when I was drinking and taking drugs, I was the best. I was the best at partying, taking drugs, drinking the most. I was the best at it because I was just like, I went all in. I'm like, right, I'm going to just going to be, I'm going to be the king of chaos. Let's go. So it's like just redirecting that attention and going, okay, well, we're going to throw this can I be as good at business as I was at partying <laughs> basically, right? It's kind of the way to think about it. And the main motivation and, and the whole reason we've grown the business is because we want to help people, right? So it's not just this kind of like quest for money. In fact, we've actually, Gabby and I have basically not taken any money off the table in the last four years, despite how big the business has grown. It's never been about like, let's get rich and escape. We thought that what we wanted was to create. So the reason we started the business is because we realized that there was lots of people who might make the same mistake that we made and we wanted to help them. So it was like, oh, imagine if we could just help 10 people, that'd be awesome. Help nearly a thousand now, so that's cool. At some level, there's also the, how do we get out of the quicksand? How do we create a better life for ourselves? We realized a couple of years into the business that we built the business to such a point that at least theoretically, if we sold it, we would have enough money to not have to work again. And that was the moment that we realized that it wasn't about the money. We were like, oh, hmm. Well, then what are you going to do? And so that was kind of like another big shift because then it's like, okay, well, let's build something that's impact driven. And, and that takes you a lot further. There's no, like material stuff is nice, but it's always got a diminishing return just in the same way that experiences based on substances have got a significantly diminishing return over time. And the one yeah. thing that has a compounding return is experiences and impact. And so the way things start is not necessarily the way things keep going, just in the way that the, the catalyst for me to get sober was that I didn't want to lose Gabby. That was the catalyst, but it's not like the reason. It's like you have a starting point. So the starting point can be one thing. And then as you grow into that person and that being, you evolve and you necessarily evolve and it helps you to stay motivated and aligned. And so, yeah, for me, I've found something that can stimulate my intellect enough <laughs> that I don't, that I don't have space for unhelpful activities. Wow. I've got so many questions. Firstly, in that void, that's that kind of sitting with ourselves. Have you been able to do that? Because it sounds like the alcohol was feeling yeah. that, the busyness of the business has filled that. 
have you yeah. been able to over time create time where you can just be? I am probably one of the most introspective people that I know. I've spent the last five years trying to understand myself, not trying to avoid it. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Do you meditate? I suck at meditation, but I do uh -huh. other things. So every single day I have a practice where I, I get up and I, I spend time with myself. Now that can take various forms. I often talk, if you watch my YouTube videos and stuff, I talk about waking up and journaling your vision and doing stuff like that, right? And that's really, really important. And one of the things that dragged me the furthest along this path was to continue to galvanize myself around a vision of the future that was bigger than the vision of today. That was the thing mm. that allowed me to go, okay, I know where I'm going and I'm going, to, I'm going somewhere great and all of this will be worth it. And the way that I did that specifically is every single day, I would literally, with pen on paper, I've got, still got all the notebooks, write out my vision, like page long, every single day. Oh my God, Goose, that's exactly, and we were living in Bali actually at the time when we quit booze, it's exactly what Ash and I did. And Ash, page after page after page, he just, it's fairly well documented in his podcast too, but how he just manifested, he got himself out of this kind of bog that he was in with his own music career and everything and just kind of literally manifested this amazing stuff and it like reignited himself he even would write down i'm creating the body of a superhero mm -hmm. because he was quite overweight when we quit and, and he yep. did he looked freaking hot 100 percent the same thing do you listen to joe Dispenza at all or have you or... yeah recently so back then i had no idea who joe Dispenza was i've only really gotten into joe Dispenza in the last year or two and yeah like creating future memories and all that kind of stuff but i was doing it before i even knew who joe, joe Dispenza was i got influenced by books that I was reading and all of this kind of stuff. And I started really getting into it. But I talk a lot about manifestation because awesome. it is one thing that has proven true in my life. It's not a theory. It's not a kind of like a belief or whatever. There's been enough significant evidence in my existence through deliberate practice and testing and focus that it's proven true for me. And so that was actually kind of the big catalyst is like right around when we started the business was right around when I started every single day, you know, wake up, write, spend time, understand. And because the process of actually doing that is the process of understanding what do you want? And yeah. the process of understanding what do you want means you is a process of learning to understand yourself. And it's only mm. through that process you start to refine the edges. And also if you don't know where you're going, how do you know how to get there? Bingo. That's one thing I always think. And with people I work with, it's so important to have your vision statement and who do I want to be? And it was definitely in my first year of sobriety was the folk. I actually did a post on this exact thing yesterday on my Instagram that you've got to sort of see beyond yourself, which really comes from Joe Dispenza. That's what he sort of teaches in his books. But in my early sobriety, it was always, okay, who do I want to be? Like, I know what I don't want to be, which has been this other version of me, which I just couldn't stand, but who do I want to be? So I would think of literally like how I would look, the clothes I'd wear, the food that I would eat, the relationships that I'd have and mm. the people I'd bring into my life. And fuck, like it's all just started to happen. And you, you make I, the choices that support that vision. 100%. Here's something that I think mm. is a worthy addition to this conversation. Because most people get freaked out by it. I speak to a lot of people about this. They get freaked out by, but I don't know what I want. And how can I be sure? And that actually stops people from, from pursuing the question. And so one thing that I really want to tell people is that when you start that process, it's almost certain that you're going to get it wrong. Because if you're only just starting to ask yourself, what do you want and who do you want to be? The likelihood is you're still working it out. 
And so when you start saying, all right, this is who I want to become, it might not be. It might be. You might get it bang on first go around. But giving yourself permission to go on a journey to understand that is just as valuable. Because when I started, I was like, because I had no idea. I was like, uh, Lamborghini and yeah. like one of the, all these things. I couldn't think of anything worse than owning a car like that. I've got zero interest in that. But it was useful for me to go through the process of say, put that on a pedestal and then decide if it should be on the pedestal. And you get to then decide all of that kind of stuff as you go. And so I've found it to be very helpful to give people permission to get it wrong. It's okay to get it wrong, but it's not okay to not try and work it out. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I know like manifestation stuff can seem like, ooh, woo woo, but we've used it a lot in our life. And most things that we've sort of put down on paper have come to fruition eventually in some way that we didn't expect it to. And wow, it started for us with getting rid of the booze. Yeah. Because that actually opens you up to be able to do that a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think you have that kind of negative vibration. You, I mean, let's get super woo woo now, but on that quantum physics level. Yeah. Anyway, Great. not that I know much about quantum physics. Usually when I get to that and the Joe Dispenza book, I flick it forward. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm super fuck? into it. I'm super into collapsing, collapsing the wave function and like <laughs> particle disposition. And I'm super into it, but we could nerd out on that for about another hour. <laughs> yeah. We better do another podcast. Now I've got another question. When the sneaky bitch came calling. So that's the thing that says, just have one, just have one. You know, this is your festival. When that would show up, which I'm sure it did at some point, what did you do? Because that's the thing that kills people every fucking time. So I'll talk about what I do now, because your life is a continuous representation of the choices that you make every single day. You don't just decide something and then it is. And this goes for your relationship too. I tell Gabby all the time, I, tell her, I choose you every day. This isn't like, oh, we're in a relationship and well, that's it. It's just a given fact. It's like, no, no, every single day I choose you just in the same way I choose who I want to be every single day. And to say that I never think about drinking alcohol would be a lie. You have the, ooh, like you still remember what it's like to drink a cold pint of beer on a hot day. And so you have these kind of like memories that go, oh, you could do that. And for me, I just, I weigh that decision against the life that I've got, knowing that that choice could lead me away from the life that I've got. And the benefit of continuously creating a life that is ever growing and full of more amazing things and continuous is that it actually compounds a way for, if you stayed the same, then you wouldn't have much to lose. But as you continue to get better, you become a better version of yourself. You become wealthier, you travel more, you, you live the life that you want. You actually have more to lose. And so it's easier over time to say no. And so you have a significant impetus to create a better life because you've got more to lose. So it makes it easier to walk away from the decision, right? Because yeah. the odds mm -hmm. are actually stacked further and further and further away from wanting to have a drink. But if you've got nothing going on, then, then you might not have a reason. You might be like, well, who gives a shit if I have a drink or not? But now I'm like, I don't know, like, am I prepared to risk losing everything that I've got? No, I'm not. And so when the thought comes up, I'm like, I mean, yeah, that might be cool, but you know what's really cool? My whole freaking life, so no thanks. Awesome. Awesome. Great response. I love that. I mean, you seem very motivated and you seem like someone that wouldn't get stuck in the, the ho-hums too much. What would you say to people who are like, this is boring, sobriety's boring, I'm boring? It's a great question. 
I would say that you're going to die. <laughs> and oh, we are, aren't we? You, we're all going to die. And you have a very specific and unique moment that is happening right now where you get to experience. And so if what you are experiencing is not to the level of satisfaction, excitement, desire, whatever that you would like, then that's on you. That's your responsibility. But you've got to remember that it's finite. Every day that you say, I'm willing to accept mediocrity is one less day that you get to experience the beauty of life. And sobriety might be challenging in the first instance because you're taking away stimulus, just like in the same way that if you quit social media, you might sit around in the evening going, well, what am I, what am I going to scroll at? But you know what you could fill your time with instead of scrolling on social media? Maybe you could plan a trip somewhere. Maybe you could learn a new skill. Maybe you could find something that's going to light you up inside. And so in the first instance, yeah, you probably will struggle with that. There'll be a delta between your previous activities and your future activities. But if you just remember that you are experiencing the absolute grandiose beauty of impermanence, you have an obligation to experience that fully. And if you're not, then you get to ask, you get to ask yourself, what does a good life look like to me? And choose that. Then you won't be bored. I'm never bored. <laughs> I'm never oh, bored because oh, there's so much to do. That's awesome. 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 I just want to get all that printed up on a t-shirt, <laughs> but it would be really small. So it'd be hard to read. So we'll <laughs> uh, that's okay. wow. Oh my God. I could literally, I wish we had like five hours because I'd, really enjoying this conversation and I think you're amazing if you could go back in time and talk mm -hmm. to your younger self we didn't get into your younger self much but what would you say to the younger version of you perhaps the guy that was stuck there living on his office floor well if I go back to the office floor guy versus going back to the 14 year old or the five-year-old I would tell him that you can have everything that you want in life the universe will give you everything you want as fast as you want and in the volume that you desire as long as you believe and are open to receiving. And if I knew that then, my life would have turned around much faster. Do you have any regrets? None. Actually, that's not true. I live a life without regrets. There is one regret that I have and that is a relationship with a friend that I didn't treat that relationship with the level of respect that it should have and subsequently that friendship no longer exists and I'm Really sad about that. It's the single regret that I have in my life. But that was as much about my emotional maturity as it was about anything else. I wasn't my best self. As a result, I sacrificed a friendship. Everything else, no regrets. Have you ever tried to make amends with that person? No. No. So I live with that. And I don't know how to find them now. We've drifted mm -hmm. a long way apart. Mm -hmm. And so I am sad about that, but it taught me a lot. But all the rest of it, I don't have any regrets. I don't have any regrets. And even, even that, like realistically, that shaped so much of how I think about relationship management now, like with anyone, I won't make that mistake again. And so to that degree, everything that has ever happened, everything that I've ever experienced has compounded to make me who I am today. And if you look at yourself and you're not happy with who you are today, then that's a choice because you get to choose away from that. And so this is why I believe that self-actualization is the only worthy goal. It's not getting a million bucks or buying 10 houses or whatever. It's like, how do you become the best version of yourself? How do you get to the last day on earth and you can look at your life and say, wow, I'm proud. Not what are all the things that I didn't do and what are all the things that I've left undone. And you want to get to the last day on earth 
and to be able to look yourself in the eye and say, well done, you did a good job. Mate, you are captivating. That's incredible. <laughs> I'm like covered in goosebumps. I've got this lump in my throat. <laughs> wow, amazing. You are amazing. So obviously there's more of you to come definitely on this podcast. But for people that want to reach out to you, let's we'll dump a whole lot of stuff in the show notes, like your YouTube videos and business yep. links and everything. But what's the best way to kind of reach out or get a bit of what you've got? Yeah. So my YouTube channel, I post videos there pretty regularly, talking about stuff like business, lifestyle design, personal development, all that kind of stuff. So that's just at Goose McGrath on YouTube. So youtube.com forward slash at Goose McGrath. On Instagram, the same thing, at Goose McGrath. Yeah, just just stick around, do a bit of searching and you, you better find me. I'll find you. Why Goose? That is a long story. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is a long story for the next podcast. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> Oh, Goose McGrath, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. And that was an incredible conversation and I can't wait to hear the feedback. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, it's been a real joy. Thanks, Danny. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.